Welcome to the God Be Known podcast. I am your host, Samuel Tekka, and this is the podcast where we want to know God through the Bible. We want to learn how to live out a meaningful life, which ultimately helps us to let God be known. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Whenever you are watching or listening to this podcast, I'm so grateful that you are here. I would love to speak from the subject, and it's going to be the title of today's podcast, Self-Help Versus Spirit Help. If I were to have a subtitle, it would be to learn how to live the Christian life. We are continuing in our series on the book of Galatians, and I believe we are on the third session of this series, and it's been good. I've been getting great responses from you guys, and I just encourage you guys to send more of your responses and more of what you're getting out of the series and just generally out of this podcast. It would be awesome. The reason why I actually entitled this podcast to be self-help versus spirit help is because I've been guilty that in my Christian life, I thought that I could live a life for Jesus, expand his kingdom, even produce the fruits of the spirit in my life through my own will. I've been guilty of, you know, and actually not guilty, but I I wouldn't say it's necessarily a bad thing. So I need to just be careful with my words here. But if the goal is to build a deeper relationship with Christ or to have a right relationship with God, And to expand his kingdom, self-help is not the way. But rather, it is being empowered. And it's the only way to be endued, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to be in right standing with God, to expand his kingdom, and so on and so forth. And so we're going to read continuing on from what we read last time in our series on Galatians. And we're going to read starting from verse 11, and we are going to go all the way to verse 16. And I'm just going to bring about one point, and then we're going to get into the specifics of what we're going to be learning today. To set this up, the context, as you guys know, is this is Paul the Apostle. He's the author of this letter to a church in a place called Galatia. And the main issue that this church has and what Paul is addressing is false teachers who are coming into the community and they are preaching a other gospel, a gospel that does not align with the true gospel. Now, what was this message that these false teachers were bringing to this community? Well, it was that Christ and the work of Christ is good, but to add on to his work, we need to apply specifically circumcision, which is works. It's it's something according to the law. If we do those two things, then it equals right standing with God. It equals salvation. And Paul, as you could see, 
And if you read the book of Galatians, he's frustrated. He's angry uh, because there is nothing that ignites Paul as much as someone preaching and leading people away like people who preach a false gospel. And I would just love just to stop there because I think this is something that we should reflect and also replicate is we should be passionate and we should be so direct to ourselves and to also other people that the gospel has to come in its pure essence. The gospel has to be preached accordingly and correctly. And it should make us angry when there is a false gospel being preached because it's not what Christ preached and it's certainly not what the apostles preached. And so Paul the apostle here, as we come to this passage of scripture, he is addressing Peter the apostle, the one who walked with Jesus in a place called Antioch. And that's where we pick up on our passage here in verse 11. And we're going to read again all the way till verse 16. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. And we're going to learn what he did. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James, another translation says some Jews from James, came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. What caused him to not eat with the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, there were Jews that saw him and that had approached. And as a result of that, he, he didn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew, by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish tradition? Verse 15, you and I are Jews by birth. Ethnically, we're Jews. And spiritually, we have inherited the same blessing that Abraham has inherited. Not sinners like the Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. I emphasize that. And we have believed in Christ Jesus, who's we, Paul, and also Peter, who are Jews, by the way so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. I want to bring one point that we're going to extract and we're going to break down and we're going to learn. And I hope that after hearing this, you will be encouraged, but you will understand the depth of this point. And here's the point. Just one word. Justification. 
justification. Say that one more time. Justa, everybody say it. If you're listening, you're watching this right now, say justification. One more time. Justification. All right. This word, justification, means this. Declared not guilty or innocent. Let me give an example. There's a judge. There is a person who's in front of the judge. They committed a crime. But after the verdict, the judge says, or the jury says, not guilty or innocent. The word justification is a legal term. And it's a term that we often see within the scripture. Not guilty or innocent before the eyes of God. I love another way that it's defined. Justification means just as if I've never sinned. Ooh, I need someone who's watching, who's listening to catch this. Christians, believers in Christ, catch that. Just as if I've never sinned. How in the world do I still at times sin and yet I'm declared not guilty or innocent? I'm a criminal. I've committed the crime. And yet the judge says you're innocent. The judge says you're not guilty. We're going to break this down. I'm going to direct all of us to a story in Matthew chapter 27. Okay? So if we could go to our Bibles or if you don't, just listen in closely. But through this story, I'm going to explain justification and we're going to break it down and we're going to learn what it actually means. Okay. Matthew chapter 27 verse 15 all the way to 26 is a story of Jesus before he goes to the crucifixion. And here Jesus is before Pilate. Pilate was a Roman uh, governor or officer. And I want you to catch this story because it's going gonna, it's gonna to give us some insight into the word justification. So let's start from verse 11 and let's go all the way to verse 26. I, I actually decided not to start from verse 15, but from verse 11. Okay, ready? Now, Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd. 
anyone they wanted. This year, there was there was a notorious prisoner, a man named, catch this, Barabbas. Verse 17. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Verse 18. He knew very well that the religious leaders had to had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Catch this in the NLT version. Leave that, not just man, but innocent man alone. He's innocent. Catch that? He's innocent. Hold on to it. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Verse 23, why? Pilate demanded. What crime has Jesus committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. They didn't even give him a response to his question. They just yelled out, crucify him. They had, they had no accusations, nothing, to, nothing that he had committed to accuse him of. Verse 24, Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent uh, for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Okay, so the breakdown of the story. Jesus is placed before Pilate and the crowd. And once a year, Pilate releases on the Passover a prisoner to the Jews. Okay, once a year. And Jesus is there standing before the crowd innocent, had not committed any error, committed no sin, is guilty of nothing. And yet they're yelling, crucify him. But what's even worse is Pilate asks the crowd a question. Who do you want me to release? Jesus or Barabbas? And they ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus. Jesus to be crucified and for Barabbas to be set free. Okay, back to the word justification, just as if I never sinned. In order to understand justification, you need to understand another word, substitution. Substitution. In this story, we see substitution and the doctrine of substitution taking place. Jesus is substituted for Barabbas as Barabbas is substituted out in order to be set free. He didn't deserve it, and he surely has no merit to earn that freedom because he's the criminal and not Jesus. But yet Jesus was substituted for Barabbas. Okay, now, when we go to the cross, 
when we go to the crucifixion of Jesus, here's what happened. You and I deserved to be crucified just like Barabbas. You and I deserve to be punished just like Barabbas because we're the ones who committed the sin. We're the ones who are guilty. We're not the innocent ones. But what Jesus did on that cross is he assumed the position of guilty and of sinner for you and I, just as he did for Barabbas. Okay. And as a result, he was the one that took the crucif uh, the, the punishment and the suffering that you and I deserved. So when it comes to justification, you and I have to understand, hear this, we gave Jesus our sin and he gave us his righteousness, which allowed us to be set free. <laughs> okay. I, I need some, I need someone to personalize this in your, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what you have. This is the promise that there is substitution. His perfect fulfilling of the law because he's innocent. Remember, there's no error. There's no sin within Jesus. He gave us Jesus being his resume and we gave him our resume as sinners, which is why he had to go to the cross, which was to substitute. And this is one of the things that I feel like a lot of people, including myself for a very long time, did not understand. The reason why you're declared innocent and not guilty is because he gave you his righteousness. He gave you his perfect standing with God. And we gave him our sin. That is the beautiful blessing of justification is he clothed us with his righteousness. That's why the Bible says that we are blameless before the sight of God. How are we blameless? We're blameless because we have the resume of Jesus that when God, the father, the judge sees us, he sees Jesus. This is the beautiful, precious gospel, the good news of what he has gave us. He substituted himself for us. Second thing about justification that we need to add on from substitution is he paid the penalty for our sins. I want you to catch this. Every sin that you and I have committed past, present, and future was paid for on the cross by his blood. See, that's why first Peter talks about how the blood of Christ is better than silver or gold. It's more precious than anything else because I want you to think of the blood as currency, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the life of Christ was the only 
only element, not silver, nor gold, none of that could pay for all our sins. But the blood of Christ that was spilt for us paid the price. It paid the penalty. Let me share with you guys this story. When I was younger, I had a lot of speeding tickets, a lot. Uh, I just, for some reason, I just did not learn. And here in Canada, when you have a bunch of speeding tickets, you have to go to the registry and you have to pay those tickets off. The only problem was I had no money. I didn't have money like that, right? So what I do, I call my dad because my dad had the needed amount to pay for all my tickets. And I want you to hear this. In the same way, I couldn't pay for all my sin. I didn't have the ability to pay for all my sin. And there's no amount of silver. There's no amount of gold. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of things that I could do to pay for all my sin. But Jesus, who is perfect, the blood of God himself was able to pay for all my tickets, all my sins, past, present, and future because he has the power to do so. Oh my gosh. So justification means not only did he substitute and give you his righteousness, but he also paid for all our sins. And that's why we're declared not guilty because you can't charge someone that doesn't have tickets to pay Ooh, because it's already been paid. Oh my gosh. So I need someone just to catch this. This is the beautiful gospel. This is what the, the, the scripture means that we are made in right standing with God because we put our faith in Jesus. This is what we're putting our faith in. Number one is substitution. That's part of subs, uh, justification. But number two is that he paid the penalty. But number three, what's also part of the justification is that it leads to the Holy Spirit. Ooh, we're getting there, right? Romans uh, chapter eight. I, I want to read this to you guys. Listen to what it says. Romans chapter eight. It says, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Oh my gosh. I need someone to catch that. The Bible says because of justification that there's no condemnation now, right? There was substitution and he paid the penalty for his sins. What, what, what does it mean? Because we belong to him in that way, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. In other words, justification leads to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in something that is not in right standing with God. The Holy Spirit can't dwell in sin. So that's why sin needed to be paid for. That's why sin needed to be removed so that the Holy Spirit could come in and help us to live a life unto God. That is the beauty of justification. And that could only be given by faith in Christ and not by works.
Now let's talk about works. A lot of us right now, we can't live the Christian life because we're living in accordance to performance, self-effort, and rule-keeping. That's the issue. And anytime you live under the law, you'll always be condemned and you'll have no power to live out the life that Christ has called you to live out. But if you are justified by Christ and by Christ alone, whew, he gives you the spirit to enable you to live a life onto God. This is why Romans chapter 8 says to us in verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things of the Spirit. Catch this, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. This is the beautiful gospel. You have the power of the Holy Spirit to depend on, to live a life for God. Not performance, not self-effort, and definitely not rule-keeping. It's not self-help. It's not by will, but it's by spirit help. The spirit helps you to live out a Christian life. Why did God do this? He did this because he is a loving father and loves his people. John 3.16, famous passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his son to justify us, to declare us innocent, and to give us the spirit as a result of justification so that we could live a life for him. So practical application, here it is. Number one is you got to believe the gospel. You got to believe the teaching of justification, that it's only by faith in Christ alone and not by works that we're made in right standing with God. You have to believe you have to believe. After believing, number two, what you want to be doing is you want to depend on the Holy Spirit. Trust me, there are times in your life where you feel like you're at the end of yourself. And can I just say, that's probably where God wants you. Because where you are at the end of yourself is where the Spirit begins to do His work. That's when you actually begin to say, I want to depend on your Holy Spirit to live a life onto you. And he'll give you the power to do it. Depend on the Holy Spirit. How do we depend on the Holy Spirit? Number one, read scripture. This, the word is life and spirit. This word is life and it's spirit. Read the word. Meditate on the word. And as you begin to do that, you will begin to live a life of the spirit. Number two is you want to pray. You want to pray. What is prayer? Prayer is number one, communication with God. But you also have to understand that prayer is also dependence on God. Whew, right? So prayer just sometimes looks like whether you're in the gym or whether you're in the car, Holy Spirit help me right now in this moment. 
I have a temptation right now. Holy Spirit, right now, I want to get frustrated. I want to yell, Holy Spirit, help me to keep my tongue in check. Holy Spirit, there you are. You're just depending on the Holy Spirit in that moment, right? That's what prayer does. You want to depend on the Holy Spirit. And number three, and lastly, is the Holy Spirit works in community. He does. He works in community. And so if you're not part of a community, get plugged into a community. You have to. You can't do this life alone. To live a life of the Spirit, to live the Christian life, you need to be plugged into community. It's the only way. So that's enough for me. Love you guys so much. Thank you guys for tuning in to this series of Galatians. I pray that if this gave you value in any sort of way, I want you to share uh, the video. I want you to send it over to other people. Subscribe to the channel and get more value out of it. Uh, amen. So just like I say every single week, I want you to know God and let God be known. Ciao, guys. Much love.